Hi, welcome to episode 37 of the American Tributaries podcast, where to break out of the bubbles we've all been living in these last few years. We're using modern technology to explore the various currents of people in our great country, kind of like a 21st century Lewis and Clark journey. I'm your host, Michael Whitten, and thank you for joining me in this exploration of America. If you enjoy the show, please be sure to spread the word about what we're doing. Let your friends and family know on social media. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Ebenezer Akakpo, who lives in Maine and founded Akakpo Design Group, which, among other things, makes jewelry using patterns based on the ancient symbols called Adinkra from his native Ghana. And I learned about uh, Ebenezer when I picked up one of his pieces of jewelry myself. So I'm showing here on the YouTube channel um, the bracelet that I picked up, which I love because it kind of felt very solid, but still kind of like understated. And obviously I love the the symbols. In particular, this one was, uh, I think, for hope, which I love being reminded of because I find the more that you look for hope, um, the more you find hope out there in the world. So Ebenezer, thanks so much for the bracelet. And thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? And could you share a bit of your story? Well, thank you for having me. Um, it's a cold evening here, but I'm doing well. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, where do you, where are you in in Maine exactly? Um, I'm in I'm currently in Portland, Maine, um, on Washington Avenue, uh, one thirty two Washington Avenue. I have um, a pop up shop that I'm running um, that features some of my products. Um, I have things from uh, objects from jewelry to uh, coasters, um, and then some apparel. Uh, one of what is what I'm wearing, um, you know, with the, the patterns on the, on the hand. Um, I, it, it's always tricky when I'm asked such a question that, uh, to speak about who I am or who, um, uh, just to talk about me. <laughs> um, growing up, growing up, um, I I did not grow up with my my biological parents. I grew up with my uncle, um, actually uncles. Um, but the uncles that I I lived with or grew up with for a longer period of time is who I'm going to talk more about. So um, he had his own family of about three or four kids, including some extended family members that also lived with him, um, including myself, who were about maybe five kids in the house. Um, he was uh, a school coordinator as well as the senior house, house master. Um, and we live in the campus um, called Accra Technical Training Center, which belongs to, I don't know if it belongs to, but I know it's sponsored by the Canadian government. Um, it's an institution where it's more like, like a vocational technical space where they had everything ranging from, uh, television and radio repair, um, auto body and auto mechanics to carpentry refrigeration, which is HVAC systems, uh, to masonry. So that is where I grew up. Um, and I think. Part of, even though I wasn't a student in the school, the, the mere fact of having the opportunity to be able to float around, uh, because of my uncle's status, to be able to float around in some of the classes without any question, um, I think somehow, um, 
has helped to be who I am today. Um, on my on the side of my dad, we are two, uh, five kids on my dad's side, and then um, three kids on my mom's side. Um, we we all grew up separately, but at one point we were all in the same space prior to leaving for for Italy. And before I left for Italy, I was I, I knew I wanted to follow the steps of my dad, who was an architect. Um, so it's it's interesting how even though I didn't stay with him, I kind of had that interest in architecture. Um, and then he once uh, he one day he said, "No, well, we cannot all be architects, so um, I should go into jewelry making." Um, but it wasn't it wasn't a big surprise or a big change because I had experience from a secondary technical school, which is more like a high school system here in the U.S., but it's a combination of the sciences and the technicals. So you're able to 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 find your your path because you have the balance of either going the technical route or uh, going into medicine. So I did mass physics, chemistry, biology, um, English, and then in my case, I also studied geography, and then I did uh, building drawing, woodwork, and because I was really interested in technical drawing, I kind of added the metal. Um, drawing as well, you know, just to give me that kind of broad scope. Um, and technically, I would say since then, it is something that I've, I've continued to build on. So how, so you said you, did you, you moved from Ghana to Italy? Yes, to, so, to school. Okay. So, um, so how old were you when you moved from Ghana to Italy? Um, I was 20. Okay. I turned twenty one um in Italy. No 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 sorry. I was I was twenty one. I turned twenty two in Italy and I turned twenty three in the US. Okay. And was your plan to go to Italy for school and then end up in the US or how did that how did how did that all happen? Um well US wasn't part of the plan. Even though I would say it was kind of part of the plan, but it wasn't part of the plan. Um, I, after, after high school, um, was enrolled as an apprentice in an apprentice program, uh, for a jewelry shop in Ghana to learn how to, to build, like to design, you know, not necessarily to design, but to make from scratch. So I was learning everything from taking the raw gold to, uh, downgrading from 24 carats or 20, uh, 23.9 or 23.6 to 18 carats or to 14 carats and then, uh, melting it, you know, adding other materials to it and melting the whole thing. And if you want to make a, a chain, you, you draw your own wire and you make the chain from scratch. You know, that was, that was a type of training that I got. Um, so in the process of that training, my my dad also said um it would be nice to have a foreign experience added to that but before you go outside it is also good to have the traditional experience 
So the traditional experience is what I did as an apprentice jeweler for about three years. And then at the close of the trimester, that was when I, um, I, I was given the opportunity through my dad to, to go to Italy, especially Florence, um, where I think next to Florence is another city called Arezzo, where they have all this jewelry industry. And the plan was to go there and study um, the art of jewelry making, you know, to the, on the next level and then come back home. But prior to leaving for Italy, I was also looking into schools in, in the U.S. that offered jewelry making programs. And after doing my research, I found three schools. One of them was in Maine. The other two, one was in Indiana and Texas. And just like the system is set up, once you figure out which schools and what program you want to study, you set up an appointment with a student advisor who then um, will advise you based on the schools that you can attend as well as uh, financial aid or financial programs that you can get. And when I met with her, the first thing she said to me was, I think you should go to Maine. And I was like, why? She said, because if you go to Maine, your parents will be able to sleep at night. I had no idea what that meant, but it was when I got to Maine, I realized, okay, Maine is very peaceful. It's very laid back, you know. Um, it offers that type of uh, flexibility and freedom to grow as an artist. Um, and had you ever been to the, I guess, to the U.S. before that? No. So what were your expectations? Um, I didn't have any expectations because once again, I'm going to go back to my uncle, the one I grew up with. He, for a long time, did not travel out of the country, but then he had an opportunity through, through the school, through the Canadian-sponsored school, to, um, to go to Canada for a program for about six months for training. And I remember, you know, I was, I was little at the time, but I remember when, when he came back, one of the, um, the, one of the professors or the instructors who also happened to be a family friend was asking him, well, you were in Saskatchewan. Um, I had it very, very cold. So how were you able to cope? And I remember that very, like vividly. He was like, well, the people living there are human beings just like me. All I had to do was do what they were doing. And that's how I survived. And with that in mind, anywhere I go, I do what the people that are already there doing. And that is what, um, so with that mindset, I feel like I can live anywhere. With that mindset, I didn't have any uh, recommendation or uh, doubt that I wasn't going to be able to make it here. The, the only drawback for me was the school. I thought my school was a pure traditional jewelry making school, just like it was in Italy. And it wasn't. It was more of an art school where I had to learn, um, I call it things at the time. I had to learn things that I didn't really care about, you know, and those things were graphic design, um, uh, figure drawings, uh, sculpture. I didn't really care about it. All like all I was thinking about is jewelry making. 
but it is it's after a few years that I, I began I began to understand the importance of understanding those things because understanding the fundamentals of the things that I wasn't interested in actually started making sense for me to become uh, I don't know if I would say I'm a great artist but for me to become who I am today which I'm still building on yeah yeah that that's really interesting and how long were you at that at that school for before you school. set up on your own I'm at the school in Maine uh it's a um, it's a four-year program, but I, I got it. I think I did it in three years. Okay, all right. And then, um, so then, how long before you did you once you graduated? Did you did you start you know making and selling your own jewelry? Had you already been doing that? What what led you to where you are now? Um, no, I didn't. To your question, and the. My my journey is a little bit different, you know. Going to Italy was fun. But I also had certain experiences that has made me who I am today. And I also had an opportunity to visit a few shows, not in Italy, but one of them was in Germany. And that actually had a profound impact on the way I thought about design, the way I thought as an artist, and the way I thought about how what I what I experienced at the time was going to revolutionize the way we do design in the future. And I'm talking this this was like 1998, 1997, yeah, 98 there about. Um, I was at I, there's a show in Munich, Germany called in Hargenta. And for the first time, I saw things that just blew my mind, which I had no idea were subsets of jewelry or was even possible. And some of these things were uh, heavily computer driven, you know, at the time, or let's say technology driven. Um, I left questioning how I was going to survive or to make it in the future as an artist or as a designer or even as a maker, you know. And one of the drawbacks for me at the time was that I had no knowledge in computers. Um, even though we lived on the, on the student campus, at the time, computers was not something that um, people had the luxury of having in their homes or even in the school. Um, my uncle, when he came back from Canada, actually he was gifted a computer, uh, but we were not allowed to touch it. Every weekend we turn it, we power it up, we wipe it down, and then we turn it off. That was extended, <laughs> you know. We were, so it, it felt almost like we had an atomic bomb you know, in the house, and we had to be very, very careful how we we dealt with it. So um, I knew that was a drawback. And what I had to do very quickly when I came to the U.S. was, aside from attending Maine College of Arts, I had to um, I had to I had to take stock of myself, you know, to figure out what I did not know 
and how I can use my time here to capitalize and to grow as a person. And there were two things that was at stake. One of them was, how do you become innovative? And the second part was, how do I learn how to use computers? And with computers, I figured the best way for me to learn is actually to learn how to build and troubleshoot them. You know, because in my mind, if I can build a computer, then I should not be afraid of it. I should be able to use it. I should be able to manipulate it any way I want, which I think will be much better. It will serve me better as a person, as a designer, than learning how to use it, you know. Um, on the innovative part, I leave that to God. <laughs> yes. Um, so I had to do my part technically and dwell on uh, the grace of God to be able to, 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 to have the innovative aspect of it to bring things to life. And so, and I guess like the, I mean, the real interesting part of, of your story is you actually, have, I mean, you're, you're really juggling two responsibilities because you're, you still have a day job and then you have your night job, I guess, in your whatever spare time you have designing the jewelry. So in your, your day job, um, what can you, what is that again? Um, so my day job, I work for the Major Bank Authority. Um, I'm one of three PC support specialists. We take care of uh, setting up systems, deploying them. Um, and when they break down, we have to find ways to fix it. I'm also uh, uh, in charge of um, deploying our antivirus software. And, but you know, it's something that we, it's a shared job between myself and my other two colleagues. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do during the day. So um, it must make for, for very long days. So when do you fit in all of your, your designing and your, your making of the jewelry? Well, I sleep less. <laughs> <laughs> um, I usually, yeah, I sleep less, but I usually, that's what I do when I get out of work. Mm -hmm. And on weekends as well, I imagine? Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's uh, that that makes for some for some long days. You you look like you're holding on some very well for somebody who doesn't get a lot of sleep. It's all by the grace of God. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when did you so when did you come upon the idea of of using? Did I say the word right? The adinkra, adinkra. Yes. Yeah. When did you come upon using those as the basis for your jewelry design? Well, adinkra symbols have always been with us. Um, growing up, it's everywhere. We have them especially in fabric, uh, in some architecture. Some people use it for their graphic logos, uh, for their businesses. Um, but we grew up with them. You know, there, there are a few of them that we see constantly. Uh, and that is the, the only God symbol, GME symbol. It's practically everywhere. Um, and that is what we, we use even in the jewelry industry in Ghana, you know, a lot of people will have their own uh, definition or rendition of the symbol, but they try to stay within that confinement. Um, in Florence, 
I was, there's a place called Ponte Vecchio. And um, on Ponte Vecchio, you have a lot of jewelry shops. I don't know if it's still the same today, but at the time, there were a lot of jewelry shops all on that bridge. And I happened to to be walking around uh, one beautiful sun- Saturday. And then I decided, you know, since I'm here to study jewelry making and jewelry design, I might as well check out why this place is so unique, right? And every jewelry shop I entered had their own um, version of the hat symbol. And the hat symbol in Ghana means patience and tolerance, right? Um, And when I saw that, you know, it started... It ignited some sort of light, you know, because at that, at that, I think up until that point, I did not really understand the value of design or the meaning of design. I felt like design was just, you know, me taking your idea and just recreating that. And the fact that I can recreate your idea means that I'm, I'm a great designer, you know, I'm a great maker, but it was actually, um, digging deeper, you know, to find some sort of meaning to what you're designing. And it it was apparent that even with some of my instructors who were jewelry designers, they all had a story. They all had uh, a style, you know, which became, or which is like their brand that it would, with you seeing the piece without even seeing their name, you can tell who designed it, you know? But at at the same time, I did not have the technical know-how. But then it just hit me that if I'm only seeing the symbol of patience utilized that way, it means that I'm sitting on the pot of gold, you know? So how cool will it be to actually take all these symbols over, let's say, if I'm not mistaken, over 100 symbols, right and dial in my own voice how cool is that going to be that was you know that was what just went through my mind but it was like a flash of light boom and then it went away because as much as i had that ambition i didn't have what it take what it, what what it took to get to that point i had to learn i had to go through uh the butterfly effect you know I had to go through it. I had to, oh, is it a butterfly or a caterpillar? I had to go through that effect of, you know, trying, learning, doing things I don't want to do. But at the end, it all becomes part of who I am or part of who I become. Yeah. And when did you come out with your first, I guess, your first jewelry designs with uh, with the Adinkra symbol? Um. <laughs> Even after that, I, st- I was still, I-, I think I was still in that world of just using the symbols as they were. Um, but then as much as I knew that I wanted to, to design um, with the aid of computer or to manufacture with the aid of technology, um, I, w- I was keeping an eye, you know, I was keeping track of, what was going on in the technology world and what was going on in the design world. And 
around this time, I was working um, as a temp IT person for the Tempike, and I was working as a contract jeweler for Zales, the, the diamond store. But then I was keeping track because the software was great, but the hardware could not support the software. You know, and those are the times when, when you create a design, it's like in the middle of the design, the computer will just crash because the permutations or when you're rendering, you need to cluster multiple systems to get a rendering done. But then there was a time around 2005, 2006, where I think Intel introduced what they call hyper-threading, you know, and that was what actually changed the dynamism of, of what computers could become when in the technology world, sorry, in the design world. So around that time was when I decided to go back to school. To, I applied to um, RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology, to go back in there for my master's with the primary focus of computer-aided design and manufacturing. You know, um, when I got there, there were a few challenges because I did not study industrial design for my undergrad. So I had to catch up, you know. I had to catch up with their style of sketching. I had to catch up with uh, understanding the technology enough to be able to utilize the software to even create 3D designs. Um, it was tough. It wasn't easy, but I held my own. Um, what also gave me some sort of confidence was that one day we were having a critique and out of nowhere, my professor or our professor paused for a second. And then he said, I saw your work. So what do you mean you saw my work? So I saw your work in the jewelry making department at RIT in their master's department because there was a ring that I made um, that was featured by SNAG, Society of North, uh, North American Goldsmith. And it's on one of their, their posters, you know, which happened to be in the master's um, lab of the jewelry department at RIT. And I thought that was, that was very impressive. I mean, that really gave me that kind of, yeah, you can do it. You know, that motivation that I needed. And then I made friends with uh, kids who were into graphic design. So that was when I started understanding the importance of typography, which is what I was taught when I was at, at Main College of Arts. I started understanding the value of them because when you are a designer, you need to know how to communicate. You need to know how to, to, to uh, present your work. And typography helps you to do that. Because typography is another form of 3D design, even though it's on 2D form, because you're using the font sizes to communicate how you want people to navigate through your storytelling. And this is all something that I had to like to learn at the time. And getting to the end of the program, my thesis was all about, once again, it was all about computer-aided design and manufacturing. I wanted to create, um, there was a company called Vetu at the time. I don't know if they're still in existence, but they were making cell phones for like $50,000 because they would buy like the normal Blackberry and then they will see and see the parts in like silver or gold. 
and then they would change the buttons and use the screen. Like the screen was a sci-fi screen. The buttons were made out of Ruby, you know, so it made it very expensive. And that was what I really wanted. I was like, wow, I want to go into that, that kind of world. And then we went on a school trip. We visited a, a museum in New York, uh, the Cooper Hewitt Center, I think. And at the time, the show was about designing for the 90% of the world population. And that was when there was another shift, you know. But I was surprised that most of these luxury brands were only designing to target 10% of the world population because 90% of the world population uh, is believed to live in poverty, you know. So that was, um, that was a very big surprise for me. And I left the show with my class thinking how I could use design as a tool to solve a problem. Um, so I started thinking of growing up in Ghana, what were some of the problems that I wish I could have solved? I wish I had a magic wand, you know, that I could have solved. Um, and one of them was about plastic pollution. The other one was about uh, road accidents, which is usually caused by bad car tires. And then the other one, the third one was water. So I decided to go with water. But what is interesting about the water project was that I had an opportunity to work with another company called B9 Plastic, um, based in Rochester, New York. And in the process of, you know, uh, collaborating with them, I had an opportunity to go to Ghana to do a few presentations of the UV unit that we we're working on. And it, it amazed, it was, it was amazing to me that, um, and prior to that, actually, I did a presentation for UNICEF. And before I left, the gentleman was like, well, your, your project that you're working on is really, really good, but good luck if the people in the villages are going to gravitate towards it because they're going to tell you their grandfather died at the age of 90 drinking the same water. So they don't see the importance of it, you know? But I was like, okay. So I went on, did my test anyway. I did a lot of field studies. And in the process, I realized, even though the unit at the time was projected for two, about $200, people were not really... Um, they were not too crazy about wanting to buy, you know? So then the jewelry making part of my life kicked in again. Um, so then at this time I was like, how do I, how do I use, um, how do I create jewelry using the symbols? Because that's what my people are familiar with, right? So the first, the first level of, innovation in my way or in my in my thinking was um, using recyclable plastic which is polycarbonate um, to create earrings and that I have on my website um, it's under emeco emeco means clean so it's like clean something is clean clean 
So, so the, the idea was to, to make this plastic earrings and then sell them. And 70% of that, 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 process, that proceeds goes back into donating the UV unit to families that are interested in, in, you know, in health. Wow. What a great um, idea. Wow. Yes. So then I, I picked certain colors. Like I picked the primary colors. Um, but the colors that I was also picking to me were of some value to the way we dress back in Ghana. Um, when, when somebody below the age of 75 passes, like dies, um, we, we usually wear red and black. Red meaning we're angry the person is gone and black meaning we're sad, you know? And so I decided, okay, I'm going to have red and black because Adinkra symbols, Adinkra meaning, Adinkra means parting ways or saying goodbye. And back in the day or the history of the symbols was based on the idea of when a family member dies, based on your connection with that person, you pick a symbol, right? And you, you that's what you print on your fabric and you make clothes out of it to attend the person's funeral. It is still done today. It's not, it's no longer about the relationship between the person, but it's about the family picking a symbol that embodies the person who passed on. And usually family and friends who are attending the funeral will all buy or purchase the same type of cloth you know, to attend the funeral. So, so black and red became, um, color of choice. Then the other, the other storyline is. Is that why your sweatshirt is black and red? No. Um, with this one here, the, the, um, I made drinking glasses, right? Uh, using the symbols, but I did not want to have, I didn't want somebody to come and tell me what I want strength in green or strength in yellow. So um, once again, by, you know, by the grace of God, I was thinking about the process. I was thinking about how to make it happen. And somehow that lights, you know, the, uh, the ancestors whispered into my ear and said, why don't you color coordinate the, 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 the colors according to the meaning of the symbols? And strength and bravery are red. So, so the color, um, color for strength and bravery is red. And so in my drinking glasses, I have two variations of red. I didn't want to have the same color, you know, so that is, that is why it is red. Um, so to go back to the, to the earring. So then when somebody gives birth, um, we don't, we don't do baby showers, but we do outdooring. And outdooring is when the child is named after seven days of the child's birth. And we usually wear black and white. When somebody um, who is over 80 years or 90 dies, people don't cry as much as when the person is below 75. So they wear black and white, you know, because the person has lived a good life. And then, you know, the yellow greens and the blues is just like party colors. Yeah. So that's how it all started. Okay. Yeah, and so so now, do you you have your own design? You have your own place where you design the jewelry, and also where you sell them, or do you sell them, or do other 
merchants sell your wear and you're just making it? Yeah, I have I have a website mm-hmm. where I sell my merchandise, mm-hmm. uh, but I also have a studio space in Westbrook. Westbrook. Okay. Maine. Okay. How far is Westbrook, Maine, from Portland? It's about give or take eight to ten minutes drive. Okay. Depending All on right. traffic. Yeah. Okay. Forgive forgive my uh, my lacking knowledge of the main geography. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so then can you walk me through like I guess like I guess like for my bracelet, can you walk me through how this came to being? Yeah. So, um, it's it's also an in- anyway it's an interesting story. So, I was visiting a cousin of mine in in in, in London and, um. I saw fresh Maine lobsters somewhere around the Piccadilly Square. And I was like, did I just see this? Like, did you just say fresh Maine lobsters? And yeah, it was fresh Maine lobsters. <laughs> okay. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, but anyway, so when I came back, I started questioning, um, how, do I, how do I sell? Like, how do I tell my story? Do you understand? How do I make... Because these are symbols that are not unique to America. So how do I introduce it in America? How do I introduce it to the people in Maine? How do I even start that conversation? You know? So part of, part of, the, part of my deal was, okay, in order for me to start that conversation, I need to speak the language that they already know how to speak, which is introduce them to the symbols that they're already familiar with. So then I had to do a study on what those symbols are in Maine. And I know people come to Maine because of the lighthouses. People come to Maine because of deer hunting, moose hunting. Um, They have black bear. They have the chickadee, uh, pine cones. Now, this may not be unique to just Maine. I mean, it's unique to New England, but that was the story that I was creating in my head. So I decided to create, I said, if this, if Maine was my world and I'm creating that world with symbols, how would that look like? So I took all the main symbols that I just mentioned and I put them in like a dome, you know, in like a dome structure, a dome form. I don't know if you can see this. See? Mm-hmm. Yep. So so that's what I did. And then I turned it into um, uh, a tote bag. But the unique thing about it is when I was creating that dome, some of the symbols, because I had to move them, you know, some of them were touching. And once I finished that, I was like, I can take that same idea and apply it to my symbols, right? So when I was creating the same idea with the symbols, they were scattered. But once again, the experience from Maine College of Arts, as well as experience in typography from RIT, helped me to start looking at it with a critical eye. You know, because when they are separated in the dome, they look like they don't belong. So then I started thinking, okay, what if, I start creating, like, what if I start moving them together to create that kind of pattern? How would that, how would they look like? And then immediately something came out of it. A language came out of it. A story came out of it. 
you know, and what actually made it unique to me was that I have a friend who actually studied the symbols at the university in Ghana. So I took the, the, the only God symbol and after creating the pattern, I sent it to her and I said, Hey, check, check this out. What do you think? She's like, Oh, this is so beautiful. And I was like, do you know what it is? It's like, no, but it's a very beautiful pattern. And I was like, yes, I guess I'm onto something here. And that is the point, you know, we as individuals have stories. Our stories are like patterns. We decide to share that story whenever we want or if we don't want to. And in most cases, this with all our patterns, with all our stories, when people look at us from the outside, all they see is that you are handsome. All they see is that you are sad. All they see is that you are beautiful, right? But not until you decide to tell them your story, they have no idea what is going on with you. And that is where I felt like creating the patterns with the symbol became unique and solidified in my world, right? So I've had, um, I always tell this story. There was a lady who bought one of my, my goblets and she said she doesn't wear jewelry. And I was like, I just started making these goblets. And the moment she saw hope, she just took it from me. And when I asked her why, she's like, I just lost my husband about a month ago, you know? And I told her, well, the symbol hope means that God is in the heavens listening to our prayers. And she started, she started, she started crying, you know? So it's almost like, the, you know, we want to have something that is not in our face, which is abstract, but it's personal to us, you know? And that is where I see the uniqueness of what I create. Yeah, no, that's, that's beautiful. Um, and, and yeah, and for me, that's, that's what I liked about it was that the, like the, the bracelet has meaning, but like you said, it's, it's kind of, it's understated and it's, it is personal to me, but you know, for me, it's actually, you know, where it comes from, you know, Maine is, was meant something because, you know, I'd never been, my wife and I'd never been to Maine until this, you know, year. So it was like 51 years before I'd ever gotten to Maine. And I, I've lived most of my life in New York. So yeah. part of my journey or in the last year or two has been to learn more about this country. Um, so I, the origin um, of the bracelet means something. And I think, you know, your story kind of means something too, because it's, it's a, it's a very improbable story, but I think, you know, the United States is filled with improbable stories. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, um, so you talk, you've talked about technology being, uh, obviously an, in, an essential part of what you're doing. So do you then design the bracelet, um, with some kind of program and then does it get like printed out someplace or where does technology come into play as far as in the manufacturing of, uh, of your jewelry? So I still use the same ideas of traditional design. You know, um, there is nothing faster than a hand sketch, <laughs> you know, but the hand sketch is, 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 uh, it's an extension 
of what we are thinking in our minds. So it gives you a quick preview of what is about to be. And that is, that is what I enjoy. I enjoy that process. Now, once that is done, uh, I, I, I always tell people, a writer, right? Somebody who writes stories cannot imagine a writer is supposed to write thousand books by hand, the same story. You write it the first time, you just copy it and you keep copying. It will be daunting, right? But then we use computers to, to, to solve that problem. And the same, that's the same thing I'm doing. So once our hand sketch is done, now I'm using computers, um, using various applications to go through the process of making it work, you know, and also making it to bring it to the point where I'll be able to start up the, the production and then finish by hand. Um, I think uh, there was a story about a few years ago, maybe, yeah, a few years ago when Elon Musk was trying to um, turn his, one of his uh, Tesla factories into all robotics. And then he quickly realized that, no, it's not possible. You know, we need to find ways to like work hand in hand because there are certain things that you can do well with technology and there are certain things that you can do better by hand. And the same is true with what I do. You know, there, um, when, when I was, I mean, when I'm, I'm looking at costs, I'm looking at reducing costs. I'm, I'm also looking at trying to create something unique that somehow has value and has a story. And by that value and story, you don't just throw it away because you've created an emotional connection with the piece, right? And by creating that emotional connection, even when you're sharing that story with somebody else or when you are passing on that object to a second, to a next person, that story is trans trans transferred, all right? For them to also carry it on. The touch is, is transferred. And that is what I see as a uniqueness of what I create. So, it's, it's a balance. You know, I try to find the balance of what I can use technology to do and what I can use the hand to do. Mm -hmm. And um, so then are, are you, are, I guess are the bracelets actually like made in your studio or does that, do they get made someplace else and then come back for you to like add finishing touches? No, it's made in my studio. So yeah, naturally, no. The first batch of it, which is the acid etching, it's made somewhere else. It's made in Boston uh, because I want to live a little bit longer. <laughs> and the process, the process is uh, is using uh, acid. It's just normal etching, you know. And I don't know. Like I think in my jewelry shop, if I'm if I'm supposed to deal with all this type of chemicals. It will require some sort of uh, government, you know, I mean, imagine I'm like buying gallons of uh, 
hydrochloric acid. Of course, they're going to ask me, what, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing with it? So, or sulfuric acid, you know? So to, to cut down on that headache and also to cut down on the idea of, um, of, of not having to deal with, with those chemicals, you know, I let somebody else do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once the pieces come back, I take, take them off the pieces then I do my part. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, can I, so for, um, for your designing, are you making things for, with an eye towards like women or men? And does it, does, how does that change your aesthetic? I think initially I was thinking more of what to design for women. Um, and this is the reason why there is a, there is a shop called, I don't know if it's still, I think it's still there. It's called Express. When Express opened at the mall, they had this huge space and it was divided 50, 50, half of it was for men. The other half was for women. Then, um, a couple of years later, they took half of that was for, for men and it became for women. And then now you go there and they just have like a 10 by 10. I mean, I'm just exaggerating, but they have a, a, <laughs> an yeah. extremely small space yeah. for, for men, for men's uh, products. And that should tell you something, you know? Um, so with that in mind, I think, um, most of my design initially was more towards women. And then um, when I was understanding or when I was having a better understanding of what I was doing, I started creating products for men as well. Uh, but also trying to keep that unisex. So like the, the calf you have on, can be worn by, you know, men and women. So in the case of women, they'll probably like to stack it. They'd like to have multiple symbols or multiple, like, different colors, you know, different sizes all, like, stacked together, which tends out to be to be very beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then the apparel is the same thing. Apparel is also more for men and women. And then I have uh, drinking glasses, which can be used by both sexes. Um, So, yeah, it is, I'm learning. I'm learning and I'm I'm refining as I, as I I progress with, uh, with my experimentation. Yeah. I I see that you also make, make bags. Is that what I see behind you? Yes. Yeah. Those bags. Yeah. Using the symbols. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, so, uh, do you sh- do you have, do you ship all over? Like, how much of your work, how much of what you sell, is through your website versus like sold like you know at the I guess the shops within Maine or maybe other places where you sell? Um, I think with everything, we always need to find a good foundation, and the foundation is not just about where you can sell, but it's about understanding what you're making 
and the impact that it's having in people's lives. So for a long time, I was, I started very small, you know, like I'll do just one show a year. And that show was the Portland Festival. That was how I started uh, selling stuff. Um, and then after I think three years, I started doing, like you meet other artists and they'll tell you, oh, why don't you try this show? You do very well. So then I'll try it, you know. And then it, it went from one to like two. Um, and that was what I was doing. I wasn't really focusing much on websites because the, the, the initial problem for me was that people don't know about the symbols. So I'm introducing something in their culture where they have no connection to. And I didn't know how to translate that online. You know, I didn't know how to translate that to make it make sense to somebody online. I don't know if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. No, I didn't know sure. how to do that. So, and I felt like whenever I have that interaction with a person, you know, the likelihood of them buying is 95%. But because there's, I don't have that connection online, there's no sale, you see. So it became, um, I don't want to say problematic, but it became very difficult for me to find ways to make that work to my advantage. So for a very long time, I wasn't focusing on, um, on, on, on online business. I was just focusing on one-to-one -one doing shows. And then, um, it was during COVID that a lot of this changed, you know. So during COVID, and then there was uh, a little bit of awareness of what about all these other Black businesses that are also capable, who are not being uh, featured, you know. And I think you work hard, but it's also surprising that you meet people in your community and then they'll be like, oh, I didn't know you made that, you know? Oh, really? You made that? You can make that, you know? So it, it, it was a little bit weird, but, you know, it's part of life. Um, so that actually helped and it's, it, I was able to speed up the process by moving or switching platforms from WordPress to Shopify, you know, and then, um, and then by, you know, I, by, by having, you know, I was also, uh, blessed to have some coverage, you know, in the news media. I remember during COVID, I was featured in the Boston Globe, uh, with my drinking glasses. Um, Portland Press Herald did a, you know, a couple of stories on me. I did, uh, is the American Journal. They also did a story because I was working with, um, some of the kids in the middle school, um, uh, playing around with symbols, trying to come up with, uh, different shapes, you know, or objects that we plan on creating a sculpture for them in the school, uh, in the near future. Um, so it started, you know, it, it, 
everything starts with one step. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that is what I keep doing, you know. And then um, I had an opportunity to to t- to do the bus shelter, the bus stop, which then won the best bus stop in the U.S. And even after that, you know, like nobody, a, a lot of people don't know about it. Some people know, but most people don't know about it. And then you ask yourself, okay, so you want that. How do you capitalize on that? I don't know. How do you, how do you, by true, by, 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 by winning the best bus stop in the U.S., how do you utilize that for people to know that you are also here, you know, adding to the fabric of Maine or adding to the fabric of the U.S.? How do you make that happen? So it's, it's all learning process, you know, and then, uh, it's learning process, but it's also taking the step at a time. And then through that process, I've got an opportunity to be featured again recently in the Yankee magazine, you know, so it's been steady and just like the, the, the caterpillar effect. If it had, if I, if it has all happened all together at one time, I'll probably crash. But these little steps, these little advancements, is helping me to refine my work, to better understand what I'm doing, to better understand how my work is having impact on people how people are connecting with my work, how I am even seeing my own work and how I also want to grow to become a better person, a better designer uh, by not only making small objects, but advancing to larger objects, you know, like looking at this object and be like, okay, what if this was like the size of a skyscraper? How would that look like? How, you know, so yeah, it's, I know the question was about website, but then or how I how I introduced my work. But I just I think there is something to be said about the gradual growth. Sometimes I wish I was everywhere in the US, but I also know that it comes with time. Yeah. Well, you know, um, are you familiar with the Steve Jobs story at all? I listened to a lot of Steve Jobs story, but I'm curious to hear which part of the story you want to talk about. Well, what you're talking about and, and everything that you've done reminds me of the, the bit about how he, you know, dropped out of college and audited classes. And one of the classes that he audited was about, was calligraphy. And yep. that was just kind of a little experience that kind of stayed in the back of his head. And then, you know, 10, 20 years later when he's, you know, working on the next Macintosh, he's the one who comes up with the idea of offering, you know, users different fonts. And that is what made Macintosh so different than all the other computers that were out there. So it's, it, you're kind of talking about that same idea of almost kind of like being patient and accumulating experiences and almost like doing kind of like mental, like, like mind games and ruminating um, and thinking and pondering and being patient with uh, the pieces as they come together. Yeah, it's interesting you said that because um, I think I think the, I have a little card that I I include to my packages, and I I think there's somewhere that I I talk about um, everything that I'm doing today is based on connections 
from my past, you know? So yeah, connecting the, um, the dots, connecting the experiences to help me move forward. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like you've got a, a lot more ahead and I can, I know that there's a, we've got a lot of bus stops here in New York city that can, uh, can use your touch <laughs> and a lot of other things as well. You know, you know, the interesting thing about that, um, when I think it's very, it's very painful when you know what you're capable of, but the people that sometimes you connect to or you connect with are looking at, uh, oh, you don't have an engineering degree, you know? I'm like, yeah, I don't have an engineering degree, but do you know what I'm capable of doing, you know? So, so sometimes you're not given that opportunity because you're not wearing that title. And I said, I don't have engineering degree, but I have, I'm an industrial, I did industrial design. I did jewelry making. I am utilizing half of what, uh, engineers or other designers will use, which is digital prefabrication, you know? So it is, it's, 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 it's painful. Um, so for example, yeah, like you're talking about the bus, bus shelter, right? Um, it would have been great to have that opportunity, but it's also one of those things that you look at, oh, but he's just an artist, you know? But the question is, what did I have to think about to get to that point? You know, I, I am looking at a structure that already exists. And I'm trying to add my design to it, making the minimum disturbance to the existing structure. How is that not engineering? Yeah. How is that not part of architecture? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's it's crazy. You know, it's like, so I think I I I think that is what sometimes uh it makes me sad that I have to always prove myself. Um, let me tell you a story. There was a lady who was, um, I was doing a show in Boston. Um, she, she, she came, she wanted to buy an earring and I told her, yeah, I'm the designer, I'm the maker. And she almost doesn't, it's almost like she doesn't believe that I'm capable of doing that. And, I had to explain to her that yes, I was born in Ghana. Yes, I went to high school in Ghana. Yes, I did an apprenticeship in Ghana. Yes, I went to Italy to learn Italian language, to take classes or to school in Italy, to study jewelry design, jewelry making, stone setting, come to America, have a degree, right? Study computers. Go back to RIT to take another program over there. Uh, it, it's like I had to read all my credential just to make a sale. And when she left, I felt void. I felt void and I felt sorry for myself. That why? Why do I have to go to that extent 
of, of telling you what I'm capable of doing instead of just accepting that, yes, he can do it. Yeah. Instead. Well, it sounds to me like you're on the you're on the cutting edge of like first year designs, and I, and I guess obviously your your it sounds like your your background like threw her for a loop as far as what she'd expect. But it's funny that we're talking about this because I was talking to an, a, another guest, and this guest was a Lego artist, right? And he had problems where he lived in he lived in san diego and he said like in new york they kind of just accepted that lego could be art but in san diego they just like they couldn't comprehend the idea of somebody using lego for art and yeah. what i what i and i said to him actually kind of similar to what i think is like for for different reasons like you guys are both like on the cutting edge of doing something where people just can't process it um, yeah. and like you're i guess the challenge is because you're on the cutting edge, you're the one that has to explain all the stuff that at someday won't need to be explained, but you're that person. And, you know, for me, like what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to promote um, travel within the United States. Like my, what I, on the, the podcast is one part of this project, but what I want is to get high schoolers in our country to take trips within our country because there's a lot of trips for kids to go overseas, which is great. But I think after the last few years in our country, I think we need to spend more time trying to understand our country, like Maine, like South Carolina, like every state, because it's a huge country. And when I'm talking to people, a lot of what I feel like I'm talking about is very basic things, like the very basic idea of choosing to maybe travel to South Carolina instead of Paris seems yeah. like an incomprehensible kind of decision. So you're kind of spending a lot of time laying the foundations that hopefully will benefit other people. At least that's what I feel like I'm doing. And it sounds like that's what you're doing as well. Yeah. Oh, you're right. And, and yeah. it certainly sounds like, and it appears that you're, you're doing an, an amazing job and like such a, with, with so much patience and grace and, you know, with so much more to come. So I, I'm so glad that I, we stumbled upon your jewelry at that shop when we were going to dinner. I think we had like a half hour or something and we were, you know, got to check out what you had. And I don't think they even had what I wanted, but I ended up ordering it like on the spot. Online. So I was like, I don't want to forget this. So I ordered <laughs> it online. Um, and it does mean a lot because I do think like after you know, the last few years in our country and I think what you see in like social media is there's lots of reasons to be worried. There's lots of reasons to be depressed. There's lots of reasons yeah. to be discouraged. Um, but the more that I've been reaching out, the more that I am reminded that there's so many reasons for hope. And your bracelet is in, for many different reasons a, a tangible reminder of looking for the positive, looking for the hope and creating your own hope. So I, I thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, thank you for your support as well. Yeah, no. Um, and then I guess, you know, uh, where, if anybody's interested, whoever is interested in looking for your, um, for, for more of what you do, what's your website address? Uh, it's my last name, which is akakpo.com, um, akakpo.com. Or they can also find me on, uh, on Instagram, uh, akakpo and Co. The Co is CEO. Just like Tiffany and Co. It's a play on words, yeah. So Akapo and A and D CEO. Co. But your your stuff's more interesting than Tiffany's. <laughs> well, 
they, they also have their own, you know, their own story. And uh, I, I keep, I keep pushing. I keep, I keep hoping. I mean, the, I think what I do um, is very diverse. You know, it's very diverse. And yes, even though I start off as, 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 as making jewelry, I feel like um, I've been able to translate that same idea into multiple um, products, which then become unique to any individual, you know, from the water products uh, or the tumblers to, to apparel, to, to bags, and now to like panels and some wall sculptures, you know, it's, it's just unique. Um, I keep praying that I, um, I keep praying that I don't, I don't lose focus and I keep praying that, uh, my ancestors, the angels and God keep guiding me, um, you know, to be able to, to bring whatever is planted in my head to life so that people like you can find your own stories in them. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, before I wrap up, I like to ask everybody, like, and I guess it's, it seems appropriate since we were talking about hope. Um, can I ask you, like, what gives you hope at the end of the day? What gives me hope at the end of the day? I think what gives me hope at the end of the day is that as individuals, we are planted here for a reason. And we are here to support each other. What I'm creating is helping people in ways that I don't even know because they are finding their own definitions and their own stories and their own meaning in what I'm creating. And that is what I don't have control of. Me not having control of that is what gives me hope. Fascinating. That's that's uh, that's a really fascinating insight into that. Uh, it's almost like the the vari the variability out there is what gives you inspiration and hope. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, imagine this. Let me imagine this story. Like, just this summer, I was setting up at a show in Yarmouth, and the lady saw me and she ran towards me, said, "Oh my God, Ebenezer." 2019, before COVID, around Christmas time, I bought something from you. And just when I was leaving, you gave me a card because I make this card. Let me see if I can actually find one. Since we're talking about hope, I'll use hope. But she said I gave her a card, right? And I use so I use the negative space of the symbols to create the cards. And then it says the word on the inside, right? So this is hope. And the color for hope is green. But when she bought the item, I gave her strength, strength card. And she said, you don't even know what that meant to me. Apparently, two days prior 
to her coming to the show, she has miscarriage. But giving her that symbol, giving her that card of strength, has given her strength, and now she has a two-year-old son, and she was pointing her, she was pointing the son to me. What did I do? I didn't do anything. Do you understand what I mean? I did not do anything. All I did was give her the card, but she completed the story. And in some respects, it's like your ancestors have been guiding you and your ancestors kind of gave those symbols and it ends up kind of connecting to her in unexpected ways. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 And, and it's happening for me too. Yes, sir. So, thank you. All right, Ebenezer, thank you so very much for, for connecting and for having this conversation. It's been really wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you. I hope I did okay. Yeah, you're wonderful. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> so, thank you. And then, and thank you to our, our listeners. Um, may you go out and explore our country with compassion, respect, curiosity, and humility. All right. Take care. Bye.